Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 99. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week, I am honored to have Andy Fairbanks of the podcast, Everyday Extraordinaries. Join me for episode 99, and she is sharing all about her role as a creative communications consultant. She's a self-described idea champ, and she works with visionaries and local politicians on public campaigns. While we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, Andy's reflections on activism and how she woke up after the election are so very on point, especially after the white supremacy events that occurred in Charlottesville, totally horrifying myself and so many other people over the weekend. She shares that there is no somebody and that we are each the somebody in this interview. So if you're feeling stuck and in the realm of strong emotions ranging from horror to disgust over the hate that was displayed by the supremacists, and believe me, I am with you because there is just no room for that kind of hate in this world and this podcast does not stand for it either, I just know that Andy's words about moving into action from these kinds of strong emotions will help you today. Before we get to that, I want to say I am so glad that you are here. Thank you for tuning in this week. I publish show notes for each episode on the podcast that include links to the guest website, additional references, and some of my thoughts about the topics that we discuss. You can find them for this episode episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 99. And while you're over at the site, I invite you to register for my free e-course, which is called Joy Plus You Unleashed. It is a fun self-paced class that guides you on ways that you can make room for more joy in your life. There's a sign-up form right on the homepage. You can just put your name and your email there and you'll be all set. You can also find past episodes and nearly eight years of blog posts that I have written to help you find joy in your life. If you like what you hear and you want to subscribe, thank you. And you can find Jumpstart Your Joy on all of the regular podcasting spots like iTunes, Player FM, and TuneIn. All you need to do is search for Jumpstart Your Joy and hit the subscribe button. Today, Andy Fairbanks joins me on the show. She is an entrepreneur, podcaster, and consultant, and she started her own business just about a year ago. Her work focuses on human connection, and she helps visionaries to craft messages that inspire and motivate clients and audiences. She works with politicians and entrepreneurs as a creative communications consultant, leveraging communications and education techniques to teach, reach, and inspire groups to positive action. What I love about Andy is that she follows her heart and she takes the initiative to make the change that she seeks in the world. She shares that about two weeks after the election, I woke up and and knew what I needed to do, saying that she helps other people gain the knowledge that she had wanted. I was inspired by the fact that Andy didn't let any of the big shoulds hold her back. And this is something that I see so often with clients that they think they have to have a specific degree or designated experience before they can go after what they want. Andy shares that all she did was ask about how she could get involved in helping with campaigns and communications. And so without further ado, here is the interview with Andy Fairbanks. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. I am so glad you are here. Yay, I'm so glad to be here, Paula. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. What did you love most as a child and what were your earliest sparks of joy? You know, I was, as a child, from a very young age, I was always putting on shows. No, I was a theater major. So as many theater majors will tell you, like this did not just come on suddenly at the end of high school. It was my whole (laughs) life. So I was always, always putting on shows. I also was always 
wanting to mentor younger kids. I loved that from a really young age. I loved having younger kids around me that I was always the one who was organizing them into putting on, also putting on shows for their parents and let's do an art show. And I went to a babysitter where I was the oldest kid there. And so I was often the organizer of the fun. And uh, I loved reading and I loved diaries. I actually, I still love blank paper and a new Mm. packet of crowns or colored pens or something. Something about that blank canvas. I guess it's the inner artist in me somewhere. But so when I was uh, kind of thinking about this earlier and I was thinking about how reading was so important to me in my, especially my elementary school years, I'm still a reader, but my elementary school years, especially, and I loved the babysitters club. That Mm. was such a source of joy for me. And I can remember like begging my mom once, but back then those books came out like once a month and I would beg to go to the bookstore to look for the newest babysitters club book. And I think there was something about those girls, you know, they were do-gooders and members of their community and it was a diverse group of girls and everybody was welcome and they, you know, they had responsibility from a young age and they were very interested in mentorship and I felt a real kinship with them and it was so joyful for me to spend Mm -hmm. an afternoon on my bed, you know, on my stuffed animals and my babysitter's (laughs) clothes. Oh, I love that. And I love it when people... When there's like this specific book or series of books that people what really resonate with as a child, because I think it sparks something in us so, I don't know, so deep and so imaginative or whatever. I loved Kira Saban will have been the episode before this and she was talking about her deep love of Judy Bloom and Beverly Cleary. And I love those. Like, well. oh, I love those too. <laughs> and like, yeah, Anne of Green Gables, Little House on the Prairie was probably my uh, joy, but that's a new thing to call it, right? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, but the Babysitter's Club. Yeah. I like the sense of belonging that I'm sensing yes. that you saw in those girls. Yes. And that, that was very, I loved that it was a club and that they would work, mm-hmm. they'd have little fights between them, but they'd work it out and they didn't, didn't ask for adult intervention. They figured it out. They had this, this little microcosm of a world that they lived in and I loved it. And I wanted to create that in my own life. And I still sometimes say that, when all else fails, I just call on Christy Thomas to give me the answers because <laughs> Perfect. Who, was, who was for your listeners who may not know the founder of the Babysitter's Club <laughs> right? in the books and the one that I resonated, she resonated with me the most. So I related to her the most. So. Yes. <laughs> so thank you, Anna Martin, for shaping my life with the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> Shout out to, yes. We'll link yes. up to that in the show notes in case anyone needs the fix, right? Like uh, yes, go, yes. go to the library. I'm sure they're still all there. And they are all on Kindle also, just so you know. I won't tell you how I know that, but they are. I'm <laughs> sure it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> a good deal of research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that we are both, I'm self-proclaimed, multi-passionate, multi-potentialite, whatever word we want to use, Renaissance soul, as our friend Michelle Ward would say. She so often comes up in these conversations because we all, of course, love her. Um, But you you now do work. Awesome women. Yes. Oh, mine too. Right near the top. (laughs) Your work is now as a creative communications consultant. Would you explain what that is? Because I love it. And but yet I don't know that I fully understand what you do and who you serve or help. Sure, absolutely. So I call myself the idea champ, the idea champ, and I am a creative communications consultant. Like you said, I work with visionaries on their public communications and events to motivate their audiences to do whatever it is they want them to do. So for example, I just finished up working last night. Her event was last night with this highly energetic and well-liked city councilwoman who has breathed a lot of life into the local political and community scene. And she wanted to do a community event celebrating her first year in office that was kind of something that could also be an open forum to help her set goals for the next year with her constituents. So we had these interactive stations where people could put stickers next to the goals that were most important to them and feedback forms and a drawing, an audience town hall where they got to, you know, see a slideshow of all of the things that she's accomplished and then ask questions and talk about how they'd like to get involved and lots of fun materials to engage with and entice them to continue to get involved. So it's really well attended and so much fun. And that's really the kind of stuff that I love to do. I love creating something meaningful that leaves an impression on people to inspire them to think, 
to dream bigger or to just dive into life a little deeper. And that's what I want to help my clients do with whatever their vision is. Mm, I love all of that. And I love that it sounds like you kind of created like a little, almost like a little ecosystem of its own, maybe akin to the babysitters club. But like in that moment, it was a party in which everyone, you know, there was a sense of playfulness and also, but a larger meaning to it and celebrating someone who's done a year of work, which, wow, that sounds like a huge milestone. Yeah. Sounds like fun though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's just, it's so important to me that education and, you know, community learning has become such a passion of mine because of the kind of clients that I attract, because a lot of times this is the kind of stuff that they want help with and everything. I think Every learning event, every class that you're in, everything should be engaging. It should start with being engaging. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's the dumbing down of America. Now we have to have edutainment. But that's not it. It's it's about making it harder to forget the message or the lesson that you're being taught because of the feeling that you had while you were being taught it. So if you're told a story or if you have this experience where you really feel engaged in what you're doing, like you're going to remember that lesson and you're going to implement it into your life a lot easier than if somebody just talked at you for an hour. Mm. Oh, Andy, there's a lot of goodness right there because (laughs) what, I mean, there's a little bit, you've totally formulated your own thing here, but I'm also sensing a lot of, I don't know if you read Danielle Laporte, but I love her work around like, what do you want to feel when you're doing a certain Mm -hmm. thing? Were you inspired by that at all? Or is that... I am somewhat familiar with Danielle Laporte's work, but I haven't, but it's been quite some time since I've read, I mean, I think she's fabulous, but it has been quite some time since I've read any of her stuff, but maybe I was subconsciously inspired by that, by reading her (laughs) or something. (laughs) It could be. Well, but there's, I mean, yeah, well, and there's that thing about like how feelings interact with and what we learn. How have you seen that play out in some of these events or communication pieces of creating? How have you seen that play out? Yeah. So one of the things that another series that I've been working on is this kind of hands-on hot topics communities uh, learning event with a a local activist group. And one of the things that we wanted to see come out of that is that people came in and they came in wanting to learn about a certain topic and they left with actual actions they can take. Because what I see a lot today, and it's not just, I mean, I happen to work with a lot of people in politics and government and whatnot, but that's honestly, that just happens to be where I am right now. This could apply to any industry, really, that there's so much theory and there's not a lot of praxis. So there's a lot of people talking about the things, the way that things should work and the things that we should do. But then there's a lot of like laymen out there who are like, okay, academics, well, that sounds great. But how do I actually now put that into practice? Like we can talk all day long about how things should be and how we should change the world by doing this differently or helping these people. But there's not a lot of, like I said, practice, the act of actually doing, you know, putting the theory to the test. So some of the, so what I've seen a lot in doing these learning events that are very engaging is that then people walk out and they want to continue the conversation. They want to sign up for something and say, oh, now I understand why this is so important. Sign me up for it. And, you know, and suddenly Mm -hmm. we have people putting things into practice. And that's all, again, I think it's because of the feeling that they get and, you know, from being engaged in something rather than just being told the theory behind it. I make Mm -hmm. people uncomfortable. I make them get down and dirty and put their hands in things. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. you want to help this? You know, you've got, there's this, um, we had a a refugee event, you know, and, and it was like, okay, so we have this group you've now heard from these women who are already working with refugee groups about how they're helping, you know, legal people who are in this country who need some assistance getting on their feet. And we hear about it all the time, but how do we now help them? So I was like, okay, guys, you're all here. There's 15 of us. You're going to sit down. You're going to open up this for the first time ever in a class or a lecture. I'm going to tell you, open up your computers, take out your smartphones, get on the internet and let's find some connections and let's get this moving rather than just say, oh, somebody ought to do something because there is no somebody. We're the somebody. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not just in a, I mean, maybe this is a controversial topic for some of your listeners. And so it's not, you can apply that to anything, whatever it is that you're passionate about, rather than just talking about how passionate you are, what can you do to make a meaningful impact on it? That's what I want to help my clients do. Mm, yes. And 
I mean, I know even from, well, what you've just said about the academic piece, that hits me front and center because I tend to be all up in my head about the ideas. And I think even like a lot of institutionalized learning, I mean, I know at least my own experience of higher education in like uh, university settings is so much of it is about the theory and the background and all of these things. And then we learn to mimic, those are the things that a professor wants back, but there isn't a lot of necessarily like action, how we bring what we learn to life. So I love that you're bridging that gap. Do you see a lot of people open up maybe even for a first time around like what they're learning and then what they can do? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's so much hesitation because things look hard. People think they have to have a lot of training to do something. But the the fact of the matter is that we are, wherever you are in your life, like you're just coming at something from where you are. And chances are you have something to offer. So, you know, if there's a cause that you want to help, no, you might not be an expert on messaging or uh, fundraising or, but you can go and say, okay, but I'm really good at organizing. So can I take your, you know, contacts and organize them in a manner that makes it easier to make these phone calls? Or can I make these phone calls for you? Give me a script. Can I make these phone calls for you? I definitely have seen people come out of some of these events that I have been a part of. And also, and it's not just events. I keep saying events because I've done a lot of community events lately and I tend to love them. But I also, I also work with people who have, you know, like online, I work with a woman who has an online running community and, you know, her big thing is to get information about training out to these runners who are, a lot of them are beginners or they're not, you know, they're not front of the pack runners, but it doesn't mean that they can't also train like athletes and that they can call themselves athletes. And so she puts a lot of information out that I've sometimes help her assemble and whatnot a lot of information out to them to say, you know, hey, just come at this from where you are. And a lot of people think they need to prepare. I hear this a lot. I want to train for a marathon, but first I need to prepare to train for a marathon. And I just say, you know, I think you just need to train for the marathon. It might take you a little longer if you've never run a step before, but why do we always have to prepare to prepare? (laughs) So that's a theme that I'm seeing a lot. (laughs) You don't yeah. have to prepare to prepare. Just come as you are and jump in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I teach a podcasting class and a lot of people feel like, oh, well, I need a sound booth. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. but all these things in the background that somehow would make you finally ready to do this thing that you already yeah. have, you know, on your heart or you have passion for. And yeah. like, it's very interesting to see the things that people bring with them as you know, must-haves. I'm also a project manager. So mm-hmm. those words, those words always come out, but like, what are the requirements? Mm-hmm. But many of them are not true as you're saying that. Right. So I'm hearing sounds... you say podcast stuff. I'm like, there's a podcasting class, man. I didn't know. I just was like, <laughs> Oh, I guess I'll record myself and put it on. Here. <laughs> but, well, that's but where I start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so it's interesting. I mean, how do we let go of those pre I don't know. They're almost predetermined. Like how do we loosen up a little bit on that grasp of, Oh, I need these things before I'll be ready. Uh, That's, that's a really great question, you know, and that's, that's something I'd like to see people embrace. And I think some of it is confidence, trusting in yourself and also commitment to what you want to do. Sometimes it's real sexy to talk about things that you want to do, but actually doing it is a little scarier. So it's about kind of conquering that fear, you know, and, I don't know. Sometimes I've found, you know, when I first got involved with being an, an activist, I'd had to find like some activist buddies because I didn't want to go by myself. <laughs> but I didn't have these friends in real life that want to do that. So I had to turn to the internet and find some groups and find some people who felt like me. And I just, I love searching out my people. That's one of my favorite things to mm-hmm. do. So sometimes I think that's part of the thing is finding your tribe and feeling confident in your role within it that you know, hey, I can do this because none of these other people had any experience either and they did it. So why not me? Exactly. Yeah. I love the question of why not me and the advice of look for your tribe or just look for one other person that wants to do that thing. Because I think it makes it easier, both from a learning perspective, probably you've got two minds getting around it, but also the camaraderie Mm -hmm. of we're in this together and we'll figure it out. And even if it's not perfect, it still could be a lot of fun. (laughs) 
So if you take or tease out the way that you help clients, like, do you have any suggestions on how maybe each of us can better communicate with people or use creative ways of communicating with people to either further our own business or life or hobby? I guess it's kind of dependent on where everyone's coming from, but do you have some basics that people... So, okay, now I'm going to get academic. I really like the theory put forth by David Merrill on adult education. But it's true that one of his big things is that if you're trying to communicate with somebody or you're trying to get your point across, you want to start with a real world problem. What is it about your message that affects this other person and that is going to be, you know, that's a real world problem or issue for them? And then Mm -hmm. it's about making people engage. And so if you're, you know, if you have to stand up and give a speech somewhere, the more that you can get people engaged in what you're saying, and by engaged, I mean interacting with what you're saying. So personally, when I write a speech or I'm going to give a presentation, I'd rather ask a lot of questions from the audience and then build on, you know, and you ask leading questions and get them to the answers that you want them to give. And then you can teach your lesson based on that. You're like, okay, so now we agree we're on the same page here. So now let me tell you what I know about that. Because now you've gotten people engaged in this real world problem and they feel like it's their ideas that they asked the question rather than just standing up and saying the topic of today's lecture is blah, blah, blah. And because they're, they're not going to connect to how everything should be about human connection, right? Like they always say, oh, it's business. It's not personal. Everything's personal. Everything is personal. Everything needs to start with how it affects the person. It might be how it affects their work, but that's personal. You know, how if you're in a business meeting and you have to, you know, somebody has to, I don't know, work overtime or something and you have to convince them that to do it, you have to start from a place that's personal and make them get engaged in what you're doing and feel that they have a personal stake in it. So everything is about engagement and it should always, I think it's a, you've got mail that Meg Ryan says, I hate that. It's business. It's not personal. Isn't everything personal? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Paraphrasing completely, but that has always really stuck with me because it's so true. And it doesn't mean that we all have to run around with our hearts on our sleeves or, you know, be all mindful of everybody's feelings all the time. But, you know, there's humanity in all human interactions. Right. So why not start on a person to person basis to convince somebody that what you're trying to tell them or teach them should be important to them. You want them to come to your side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that takes it a step further from that. I mean, that place, what we were talking about around the academic and the head mm-hmm. feeling like, okay, yes, I could lay out the facts and I could make a case for this mm-hmm. thing, but like, Asking the question more around of like, why is it important to people? Why does it matter to people? Yeah, that's a much more compelling place. And I think that also encourages, like you're saying, tribe for people to feel closer to one another. Absolutely. And I've almost forgot my favorite acronym that I have been using as of late. I've decided to give RIP a new meaning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's actually a pet peeve of mine when people, instead of writing rest in peace, write RIP because I think it's lazy. I'm like, if you really care about this person, you could type out rest in peace. So I decided to give RIP a different meaning and that is reactive, interactive, and proactive. So every time you're teaching somebody something, they should have a reaction to it. So they have an emotional like, oh, this affects me in this way. And and I think it might be important to me. And then you make it interactive where they get their hands on it and they have to think about it and they have to work, you know, on something with you. And then it's proactive where now they're inspired to go out and do something about it. That's my basic advice. RIP. I love it. I'm (laughs) scribbling that one down fast and furious. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) And that's a simple way of remembering, like, how do I bring Mm -hmm. my message or my voice or whatever this is that we're going to embark on together? How does this become more meaningful than exactly? And you'll always remember it. Yes. And you'll always remember it as my pet peeve. But the the idea behind that is, is that, well, if you really care, (laughs) you'll do more than RIP. (laughs) I love it. Yes, I have a similar reaction to Xmas, right? Like, what? Yes. Why? Why? People did that because they ran out of letters for a sign, not because it was easier to write. <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you so much for sharing the RIP sure. acronym. I love it. So, in your travels, I know just from kind of looking over your site and whatnot, 
you've worn a lot of hats, as many of us multi-passionates have. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to share. I, I know listeners love hearing about the journey of how someone got to where they are. I think that's really it's meaningful to them because they can probably see themselves in some aspect of each guest. But it's also super interesting then to kind of talk about like, then how did you tease through those things you love to then create this new job right. and this new role that you're that's meant for you and that you're so good at. Right. So as I, I think I mentioned early in the uh, er, earlier when I was talking about the early sparks of joy, I did start out as a performer. That is how I know our good friend, Michelle Ward, who I know comes up on your podcast. She and I actually were at NYU together in the BFA program at CAP 21 at NYU uh, studying musical theater. And so, you know, my whole life, I told people I was going to grow up and be on Broadway. And that's what I was going to do. And I had no doubt in my mind that that's what I would do. And I went to this fancy school, which was a great experience. I don't regret it for a second. I had, you know, I had great education and then finished up and realized that, you know, in the real world, although being a performer could certainly be the real world, it's really hard to keep it afloat. And so I had to take a lot of survival jobs because I was living in New York City and I was young and I was poor and I had student loans and I had, you know, and living in New York City is expensive. So what I found was that the survival jobs that I would have would start turning into like little mini careers. And I think this is because as an actor, what I've learned really well is to fake it till I make it. So if somebody says, be a karate teacher, I'm going to pretend like I'm the best karate teacher in the world until I turn out to be a pretty decent karate teacher. (laughs) (laughs) So I did this and I did. I taught karate. I sold karate lessons. I worked for a long time at an investment bank doing proofreading. So lots of detail-oriented communication work. Lots of, you know, reading over people's work and copy editing and making sure that everything was communicated properly. And then as time went on, I volunteered as a running coach. I got into running just mostly for fitness and for mental well-being because it was a, a cheap, easy way to stay in shape in New York and give me some me time. And that was great. And then, of course, as with all of my hobbies, I loved it so much that I wanted to share it with others. So I started being a running coach. I did Girls on the Run, which is I was a coach for young girls who were running and learning about life through this program. And then I would work with adults also. And that's when I also got involved with one of my clients now who is a running coach and started learning from her. And she's been a mentor of mine. So I've just kind of coasted through that. And then about the time I turned 30, through all of this, I was auditioning, trying to be an actor. And with some success, I did some voiceover work and I, I did tour and I did, you know, some regional stuff. And it was great fun. But around the time I turned 30, I was like, I'm really tired of interviewing for jobs every day. Because that's really what auditioning is. You're going in every day, day after day, and you're selling yourself and, and you're selling yourself to people who maybe don't really, they've already decided they're not going to buy before you walk in the door. And it's demoralizing. And it's not even, I don't even know that it's their fault. It's just the nature of the business. And, you know, it's even for a person with the, the, the thickest skin, it gets to you after a while. And I started realizing that my favorite part of living in New York City was Central Park and those runs that I would go on. And I was like, you know, if my favorite part of a city is the park, it's probably time (laughs) to seek greener (laughs) pastures, quite literally. (laughs) And I knew because I had tried a couple times to leave the city and go back towards New Jersey, where my family is from and stay there. And I would get sucked back into the city every time. So I knew I had to make a complete clean break. And I had friends in Denver, Colorado, who said, come stay with us for a few months, get on your feet, find a job, see if it works out. And I did. And I went out there and I climbed mountains and I ran and I got a job at Dick's Sporting Goods when I got there. And then a couple months later, I got a job at a physical therapy clinic. And then a year later, I got a job with a big med tech firm, you know, worked a regular job, made good money for the first time in my life. And decided that I loved it and I never wanted to leave. And I signed up for a master's program and I started working on my master's, which I did eventually get in instructional design and adult learning and uh, settled into life in Colorado. And then I met my husband (laughs) who is in the Navy. And so we ended up coming out to Virginia Beach uh, when he was restationed out here right before we got married. And at that time, 
I was still working for the med tech firm that I had started working for in Colorado. They let me work here full-time remote. And it was a good job. There was really nothing wrong with it. I did fine at it. I liked the people I was working with. It was, you know, fine. The company was tanking a little bit around me, but I, you know, that tends to happen with things, you know, things ebb and flow. And there were several rounds of layoffs and I survived them. And I was doing this kind of low level admin job, but I was getting to do some training and do some things and, you know, trying to decide whether it was the best thing for me and floating along with it. And it was nice to work from home. And I wasn't thrilled with it. It was mediocre. I knew I really wanted to get out, but I didn't really know what to do with myself. And it's hard to walk away from a decent salary and vacation time. And then on October 26th of this year, after having survived four rounds of layoffs, I lost my job in the fifth round. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And okay, well, (laughs) I feel very relieved. And I thought that was very telling. I had a a decent severance from them. So I had a little bit of a cushion, a little bit of time. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to work with people and I wanted to do, you know, something that eventually turned into what I am doing now. But I talked to Michelle and she talked with me a bit and I was like, you know, I kind of want to like do things where I help people, you know, write speeches and maybe do their social media and you know, maybe plan an event or something here or there. Maybe I'll be like a second banana. And she's like, well, you don't really want to be a virtual assistant, do you? And I'm like, yeah, I guess not. You know, I guess that's not really it. And I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I didn't really know what my entree in would be, like who, what kind of people would I work with? And not quite two weeks after I lost my job was the 2016 presidential election. And the day after the election, I woke up and said, okay, now I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it had to be community involvement of some kind, because what I found out very, very quickly is that I was not very well educated on the way our government works and the way that politics works in general. And it's pretty important stuff. And like, you know, I didn't necessarily need to be an expert on it. And I don't necessarily think that everybody needs to be a complete expert and, you know, be able to school you up and down on politics. but this affects our lives every day. And it's not a bad thing for us to at least have a basic working knowledge. And I haven't really unpacked that knowledge since probably my junior year of high school. Right. I mean, I was going to be a Broadway star. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't need to, you know, who cares? I'll vote every four years in a presidential election and, you know, call it a day. So I started thinking there's got to be a way for me to help people gain the knowledge that I want. So when I'm trying to get this knowledge, let me help other people get it too. And that's kind of how this all started. I joined a, a local activist group and said, hey, everybody was new to this. Everybody was figuring it out. And I said, hey, can I be your event coordinator? And they said, sure. <laughs> and somehow a couple months after that, I convinced a city councilwoman, a state delegate, and the regional director for our local senator's office to come out and do a panel event in which I interviewed them about how to talk to our legislators. And we had 50 people show up and asked a lot of great questions and had this great night. And all I did was ask, you know, I just asked. And there are so many people out there who are so willing to mentor and help people. They just need to be given the opportunities. And so I said, let me be the person who gives those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, my clients can hire me to give to, to, to make those opportunities, or I can make those opportunities myself and create content. Right. So that's how I got here. <laughs> that's so amazing. Well, and I love the part where, I mean, all you did was ask, because I think so often we think that either opportunities will fall in our lap or think that somehow that's how other people get to where they are right. when it's likely not true. I mean, there are a few people out there where something miraculous happened. It's usually, though, because they did something. It's not usually right. just because the universe hands you this thing. So, yeah, I love that as a, a takeaway as well is like sometimes you just have to put yourself out there. And sure, that feels a little vulnerable, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. what comes of it? <laughs> Yeah. And it's about how you present yourself and you have to show people that you're serious and, you know, do do a little bit of research and everything. But I mean, I'm a big fan of the internet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which seems like a silly thing to say, but 
man, I will go down the rabbit hole on research. And then I'm going to put a plug out for your local librarians. I have a friend of mine who's a, a director at a library nearby. And I'll tell you, if you need research on something, if you're trying to get somebody to do something or you want to do some kind of a community event, go to your librarian and say, hey, I need research on blah, blah, blah. And they will point you in the right direction. It's mm -hmm. like with websites, with, you know, journals and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I love okay. our our local Fremont library. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean, I don't think I realized how much was free and available there as far as resources and starting up a business slash podcast slash coaching, you know, like it's wow. And really the amount of, yeah. of stuff that's available, even in our place, like you can, you can get free tickets to things like it's so awesome. I know, so, I know the library, yeah. been, everyone thinks that libraries are obsolete. I'm like, oh, you just don't know how to use the library then. <laughs> and if you don't know how to use the library, yeah. ask the library and they'll teach you. <laughs> It's totally. Kind of yeah, yeah. And they're they're lovely. Kind of wonderful thing. Yeah. We were talking about earlier about my whole theory about how everything needs to be engaging. And then that's not dumbing the down. It's making it harder for you to forget the lesson uh, because of the feeling that you had. And that really comes from my acting background. I started by talking about being an actor. And when you're in acting class, you're taught about sense memory, right? So if you give people a feeling and they remember that feeling later, they'll remember the concept because of this sense memory. Because if you think about things, you know, sometimes you smell something and it immediately takes you back to like being six years old. It's that same kind of mm -hmm. thing. It's that. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> well, I love that you've brought that up because I mean, I think for me, it's often a location or place thing, especially if I've been listening to a book, but there's like, mm -hmm. isn't this a random thing to bring up? But like a couple of places when I drive past a thing, I'll remember what I was listening to. And it's just yeah. so uncanny the way yeah. that works. Yeah, because one of yeah. your senses will be engaged and everybody has this one sense that is possibly more dominant than others. But to some people, it is it's, it's music that they associate. Some people smell, some people it's, you know, the taste of food. So yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm, I love thing. that. I, I love the memory. <laughs> yeah, that's worth playing around with, I'm sure. Yeah. Like for anyone's message, if you can get them into that yeah. emotional state, knowing that it may tap into that for someone so they remember you yeah. again. That's very cool. Mm. Well, let's jump into I loved a recent post that you wrote about delegation and control freak <laughs> stuff. Because <laughs> I think so many of us are recovering like perfectionist slash, you know. Yeah, I'm one. I want but I love I love control freaks. <laughs> yes. So let's let's jump in there. Let's yeah, let's go on let's go on about control freaks for a bit. <laughs> yeah, what have you seen I like I loved your you were talking about delegation and why it's so hard for some people to delegate, but I think there's a lot more nuance in what you were saying. I mean, intended nuance around what makes a control freak that way. So yeah, what have you seen and, and what do you think it means about people that they don't want to let go of some things? You know, I think it's, again, everything to me goes back to being personal and it's usually an emotional thing. When something is important to you and it means a lot to you, for a lot of people, you know, they don't necessarily want somebody else's hands on it. If you're concerned, I mean, then that's, that's just kind of a natural thing. That adage, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself is very true. And because we are all so different and everybody comes from different backgrounds and, and different agendas, it's hard to make somebody else see your vision. And if you're a person who is a visionary, and I find that visionaries are usually control freaks, and it's because they have so many ideas and they've seen so many people execute them poorly <laughs> that, you know, it's really hard to believe that someone's going to execute one right now. You've probably had a couple of times in your life, somebody that you've worked with and it's turned out absolutely perfectly. And that's great. And you wish that you could find more people like that in your life. And that, that is ultimately, I think how, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to be a control freak, but I think that something that is very important for people who tend to feel controlling is to find to find people who will work with you on your vision in the way you want to work on it. So, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's so hard. And that's something that I try very hard to do with my clients. And it's sometimes why, you know, and there's some people that I'm like, I know I'm never going to be able to see your vision. I'm never going to be able to figure this out. And so it's probably not best for us to work together, but 
there's so many people that if I just listen to them a little bit and you pick up on a couple of clues from, you know, things that they might say about another project that they did that was a disaster, it's like, well, maybe it wasn't a disaster. It probably just wasn't the way that they wanted it to be. And it probably was a good idea in the beginning. And you start picking up on people's preferences and how they like to talk. I'm really, I'm good at mirroring people. So Mm -hmm. when you, when you start talking to me in a certain way, I'm going to talk back to you the same way that you're talking to me. And I think that that starts to make people who tend to be these quote unquote control freaks start to relax a little bit because it feels like I'm speaking their language. And the truth of the matter is I do want to speak their language. It's not disingenuous. Like I, you know, I do want to speak their language. And I like to say, you mentioned Anne of Green Gables earlier. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the part in Anne of Green Gables where she talks about people who are of the cloth of Joseph. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yes. about when I say that? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yes. And she, um, those are what she calls her her bosom friends, the people who are of yeah. the cloth of Joseph. And that is, you know, the people who think like her, the people who she feels that instant kinship with. And I think that by mirroring and also by, I mean, I kind of seek out my clients sometimes. I mean, I am well known for walking up to people and being like, Hey, this is what I do. And we should work together. (laughs) And, uh, and you'd be surprised how often that works. (laughs) And sometimes it's because I have, you know, observed them from afar and I know how to approach them and Mm -hmm. it's not, and it's just because I'm approaching them the same way I've seen them approach other people. (laughs) So it's just being an actor. (laughs) No. <laughs> yeah, but the coach in me is like, wait, no, that's pretty magical. You know, like don't don't sell yourself short there. And I think it's one of those things that once you know kind of what the magic is, I mean it's it takes a gift to reproduce it, but there's also something really special there about I mean, if you back it out and use some of the project management terms in it, even like you're kind of establishing what are their requirements and right. you're learning about your stakeholder. Like it's you know, you could make it very depersonalized. Maybe that's, I'm just having an aha moment of maybe that's kind of why I love project management. It's so many of those puzzles and it's, you're learning to mirror, but having people tell you what the thing is. So. No, I was just gonna say, I love project management too, because it's a system, right? And if you are a person who considers yourself a control freak, you probably love systems, right? Because you love, because it, mm-hmm. it gives you, it gives you a structure, right? It gives you a structure. And because I work with so, you know, I'm drawn to working with people who thrive on structure and have, you know, and have big ideas. Because if you have big ideas, you better have a way to organize those ideas or else, you know, you're just like laying on the grass, strumming a guitar and dreaming about doing something big, you know? And <laughs> So, you know, you probably, there are probably people who like systems. And so if I come at them with, you know, hey, you know, this is going to be a creative idea, but I'm going to do it in an organized fashion and that's going to satisfy your controlling natured heart, we're usually pretty successful. Yeah. Well, and I love that because you're meeting them where they're at and you kind of already have that intuitive sense that this person craves structure. And that's probably what makes them partly a control freak, but they also have big dreams. And so to support them in a way that, honors who they are, you're really able to tap into that and then show them kind of, here's what I hear you say. And it's seems like magic, but you're really kind of working a set of tools that you already have internally and can, yeah. can use as a reference point. Yeah. Mm, that's a lot of good stuff. I think that's a really nice reframing too, of anyone that feels like a control freak. Like maybe it's just that you have dreams that are so important that it's, yeah. it's going to take finding the right person to partner with. And there's a reason why you're not comfortable delegating. Yeah, absolutely. Keep looking for your girl Friday. <laughs> Keep looking. Keep looking for people that are of the cloth of Joseph. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I haven't made a Cary Grant reference in like ever on this show. So that's another favorite movie okay. is Girl Friday. So there you go. Uh, yes. Film studies. <laughs> it just came up. That's awesome. I um, love that movie. So <laughs> Yeah. We'll have to link it up. It's a great one. Well, I can't believe we're at, you know, we're rounding the the standard commute time for Americans. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to, if somebody's like, oh my gosh, I love Andy and I think she could help me immensely, or I really want to listen to your awesome podcast, which I also highly recommend. Where can people find you if they want to reach out and learn more? Absolutely. So it's a very simple, andyfairbanks.com. Andy is with an I, so A-N-D-I, Fairbanks, F-A-I-R-B-A-N-K-S.com. That's where I live. Uh, My podcast is called Everyday Extraordinaries, and that focuses on 
women visionaries uh, telling their stories about how they got where they are. And it basically was an excuse for me to interview my awesome friends because <laughs> I have a lot of great women in my life who have done some really awesome things. And when I was kind of putting my business together, I thought, boy, maybe I should ask them how they come up with the ideas for the things that they did. And it turned out to be a really fun series that I got a lot of listens. So I hope you'll go and check it out. Yes, yes. And I will link it up. And I've listened to a couple episodes and they really are engaging, which I didn't even think just as I said that, but that's one of your words. So they're totally engaging. And I found myself lost in the conversation. So (laughs) go listen. Well, so let's jump to these last questions. What does balance look like for you day to day? Or if you prefer it phrased this way, how do you maintain harmony in your life? That is an excellent question. And I'll let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can, can tell you, because again, I'm kind of a baby entrepreneur, right? Like this, this, like I said, I just lost my job last fall and have jumped into this. So this is, I'm still kind of figuring out what balance looks like for me. I can tell you that I'm starting to get more comfortable with the word no and learning that if that's not always a bad thing, I've always felt so guilty when an interesting opportunity comes up and I have to say no to it. But, you know, I try to just go with uh, go with my gut. If it feels icky, I learn from it and move on. And if I feel dazzled and like I want to do more, then I say yes. So that's kind of how I'm finding. I'm, I'm trying to follow my gut and allow myself to trust that the way I feel about something is okay. Like I don't have to do something just because somebody says I should. <laughs> mm, there's a lot in there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm a couple years, year and a half out or whatever, but there is a ton of it that is so really trusting. And I, I love what you just said about not following the other people's shoulds, because there's a lot of ideas out there put out by a lot of people that are in, you know, and it feels like sometimes, well, maybe they know more. And so I found myself second guessing along the way and realizing well, most of the time when I follow my own gut, that is actually the best answer ever. <laughs> Absolutely. And most of them mean very well. I mean, these are people of me. And, and when you're new in a business, you know, people are like, well, you can't say no to any opportunity that might make you some money. And I, well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say no to money, but sometimes you're just like, I just know that this is not, it's not going to do anything for me in the long run. So eh, if it's a week long and I am going to make some good money, okay. But if it's going to be like six months long and I'm going to like claw my eyes out every morning, it's probably not worth it. <laughs> Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> and that's a little hat tip, Michelle Ward again, of course, because she I feel like she says that all the time. It's so awesome. Yes. Well, and then as we get to the last question, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? All right. Well, for the control freaks that are listening, because apparently we have a lot of them in our lives. <laughs> if you uh, are a person who needs this, schedule your joy schedule it, find time, give yourself an hour in the week. You know, I said, I love blank paper and pens. And sometimes I just, you know, even if it's 15 minutes, I let myself sit down with a blank piece of paper and some pens and do whatever the heck I want with it, whether it's write or doodle or draw or make a list because I need to do a brain dump. And it just makes me feel so much better to have it all out there. But I just make sure that like Mm. I schedule that for myself and nobody's allowed to take it away. And that's so hard. It's so hard to do, but it's so important because you're allowed Mm -hmm. to have that joy. So that's one thing. Another thing, and we talked about this earlier, ask. If there's something you want to do, ask for it. Ask for what you want. Like if you don't ask, you're never going to know what the answer is. And, you know, sometimes you have to ask a whole bunch of times. I mean, you know, is it Charlotte on Sex in the City who wanted to become Jewish and she had to ask three times before they said, like, you know, like you have to... You have to keep asking for what you want. And if the answer is no, find out why and then figure out what you have to do to get to make the answer be yes. So ask mm. for what you want. Mm. And then the other thing, this is something that my friend Megan Dembski, who is, she's actually a guest on my podcast on one of the episodes and runs this beautiful children's theater in Texas. Mm. And I was on tour with her many eons ago. Something she said to me one day when I was feeling down in the dumps, and she's, it was a particularly tough time in my life and, you know, I was having some bad days and she was just always so sunny and took everything in with a, you know, with a grain of salt and with a smile on her face. And I said to her one day, I don't know how you are in a good mood all the time. And she said, well, you know, Andy, it's all a choice. And that resonated with me so much 
Like that's, it's just not such a simple mm-hmm. statement, just off the cuff, that your attitude is a choice. And so I started saying, instead of being like, oh, you know, I'm so, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. And I don't know. I started like rubbing my hands together and saying, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, it's so exciting. <laughs> I can't wait to find yeah. out. <laughs> and so it's just that oh, attitude adjustment. <laughs> so that's awesome. <laughs> it makes me more joyful I'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah well it's so funny because someone today just today shared I think it's a Gretchen Rubin quote and she said something about you bring your own weather with you to the picnic <laughs> like the that's same great. thing I love that that's yeah. so true I love it I love it oh yay no, I was well, going to tell you my favorite quote of the, yes. as, of, as of late is Amy Poehler's that is like surround yourself with people you people you love, spend a lot of time with them and it'll change your life. People who inspire you, spend a lot of time with them, it'll change your life. I love that. That's another way I to find it. joy. Find yes. your tribe. Hmm. Well, Andy, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you for being on the show. And yay. Everyone go thank listen. <laughs> go listen to everything thank extraordinary. <laughs> thank you, Paula. This has been great fun. Thanks a lot. Andy, thank you so much for joining me this week. And thank you for following your heart. I am inspired by our discussion and want to just say that, you know, it seems like you're a living example of that quote by Gandhi, which is, be the change that you seek in the world. If you want to learn more about Andy, you can find her at her website, which is andyfairbanks.com. And she spells her name A-N-D-I, fairbanks.com. Or you can head over to my website and I will have links to her site and where you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find all of that at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 99. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Joy Plus You course on the website and you can sign up right on the homepage. Okay, so next week is a big deal on the podcast. It's episode 100. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I put a lot of heart into deciding who I wanted to have on the show as a guest or guests for this very special milestone. And my heart said that the right people to have are my dear friends and mastermind. And that is Julie Houghton and Liz Applegate. They were on the show in episode 41, where we talked about supporting each other as entrepreneurs. The three of us met in coach training, CLCC, and we have a very special bond. And it's one that I really wanted to share with all of you again, as we look back on what the last two years of business have meant for each of us. So I hope you will come back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.